0: Welcome to Design Your Life, the podcast where we explore the central role design plays in our everyday lives and how, if harnessed correctly, has the power to positively transform the way that we live, design better businesses and sustainable solutions for the planet. We speak to creative entrepreneurs around the world about how they inspire their ideas to life and how they make it all work and the role design plays in their lives. I'm your host, founder of Frost Collective and author of Design Your Life, at frost collective our specialist place and environments teams work globally with architects developers cities corporations and governments delivering successful human centered solutions across place visioning property branding and strategic wayfinding and signage to find out more head to frostcollective.com.au Welcome to the ninth episode of our Design Your Life Architect series, From Lego to Skyscrapers. Today I catch up with my good friend and retail architect, Nicholas Criticus, who's based in Cape Town, South Africa. Nick is the creative director of store design for World Wars South Africa and consultant to David Jones. In his role, Nick is responsible for the store design of Africa's most celebrated department store, World with over 700 stores across Africa. He was also the creative lead of the $200 million redevelopment of the David Jones flagship store in Sydney. Nick is passionate about exploring the future role of physical stores and adapting to survive and thrive in the digital age with his mantra, First Experience, Then Retail. Hey, you know, it's really cool to see you, Nick. Uh, welcome to Design Your Life, uh, our series from Lego to Skyscrapers with Nicholas Criticus. Really good friend, South African. Uh, welcome, Nick.
1: Thank you, Vince. Good, to, good to be on this. It's, um, it's quite amazing having listening to all these podcasts over the couple of years, and um, yeah, <laughs> to actually see you sitting here is quite. Uh, it's quite a memorable moment for me. I think I'm like <laughs> this. Is, this is great.
0: Thank you. Ah, uh, you're you're very sweet. I mean, we, we've we've known each other for a very long time now. I remember when I was asked by uh, Ravi Nayadu to go to Cape Town. For design in Daba probably about 15 years ago and I'd never been to yeah. South Africa uh, before and I just was overwhelmed by how what an incredible event it was what an incredible place it was and I was fortunate enough to meet you know uh, someone like you there um, sh- shortly after that and um, yeah I, I never kind of saw South Africa as I guess the design center or Cape Town, certainly where I've been uh, where you are based as well mm-hmm. as a design capital.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think I think a lot of people globally have the same sentiments. It's, it's interesting because when people think of South Africa, and I just, just you know growing up and traveling and being around the world, whenever you say you're from South Africa, people just they scratch their head and they go, like where is that for a start? And they have no idea that there's actually some kind of a semblance of design or culture or any form of activity that relates towards that. Um, and then when they arrive here, they realize it's the antithesis. I mean, it's just, it's it's everything, but not what they think. So it's, um, I think I think what you're saying is exactly right. What, what rings true in many people's um, beliefs of what we are as a nation.
0: Yeah, abs- absolutely. And um, as well as when we went to this d- design event every year, I came for a few years there, but it was incredible. We had designers, creative people from all over the world congregating, um, in Cape Town, it was just phenomenal yeah. situation. But also, more importantly for me, I felt seeing South African talent uh, exposed in this in the same light uh, on on a, on a par with a, with the world of talent that was there. Mm. And you know, again, I say that's incredibly. Ravi did a phenomenal job, and is still doing a phenomenal job of bringing that event to Cape Town in a way, kind of against all odds. You know, he's he's persevered. He's made it happen. You know, it's kind of. You kind of don't expect that in, in, in Cape Town. And maybe I'm being a bit, um, I'm not being judgmental in any way, but I, I I just was just blown away from it. In fact, I felt it was the best event I've ever been to in the world. So I think everybody agrees, the people I've talked to. Yeah,
1: totally. For myself, my own experience of design in Derbe and what, um, what it has done for Cape Town as a design capital, um, it's just... Been exceptional because, um, first of all, I mean uh, the reason why I was going every year um, and having, you know, as a consequence, meeting you through Woolworths um, company that I work for has always given me such amazing opportunities. I mean, the uh, Woolworths is very much committed to design. They recognise talents, they nurture talents, they grow talent, they give talent space. And uh, there's just exceptional exposure. The exposure that I've had as a designer, as a consequence of working for, you know, a, a large corporates such as Woolworths, has been phenomenal. And it's, yeah, it's something I really don't take for granted. And I mean, it's um, having that exposure um, and meeting people like yourselves, um, uh, meeting people like Ravi, meeting people, meeting other people, people that design and DABA, other designers, amazing designers, having dinners with them. Um, communicating, talking, this is what actually allows you to grow as a designer and actually experience more. Because I think we learn through communication, through actually sharing and giving back knowledge and talking about your own experience and having a platform. I think being able to have a platform as a designer, Mm -hmm. being able to have a voice as a designer is so critical. And this is particularly what Design and Dabo has done. It's given a voice and a platform to designers who, who may have Somewhat being almost a little underexposed and a little bit a bit shy and not nervous of talking and um, and nervous of talking. So having that exposure has actually given them almost like this this amazing kind of connection to the world and um, a, a larger platform to grow and to develop as designers.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. Let's let's come back to that. Let's talk about your your career. But um, I guess I, the thing which kind of interests me is like, what was it like growing up in South Africa during the apartheid years? Because I just I just couldn't imagine. It'd be good to hear from you what what that was like as a kid.
1: Vincent was wild. I, 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 there's no other way I can really describe it. I mean, it's um, you know, particularly from my from my experience. Um, I think everyone was you know. You know, growing up as a kid as in the 80s was aware of it, but I felt particularly aware of it. You know, I grew up in a, a Christian and very left thinking family. So like right from the early years as a kid, I always had a very strong moral sort of awareness and um, which was instilled by through my parents, obviously. Um, but then it became very apparent when I started sort of getting older as to why, you know, uh, we, my parents had this view. And a lot of the sort of experience that I had as a consequence of growing up in apartheid was through the eyes of my parents, obviously. Um, my father was very involved in the university when we were growing up. So he was lecturing at university and he's always been um, in education as with, as with my, my mother. So he came through you know, um, a pretty much middle class but uh, education-based family because my dad was at university and my mom was um, a school librarian. So my dad was very involved in um, making community videos, um, which involved really getting into the heart of where where the action was happening mm-hmm. in apartheid years. So a lot of the um, riots that were going on, my dad was friends with a lot of you know activists and you know, struggle friends, etc. Where we were exposed to this as, as kids and. Um, Apartheid for me was abhorrent. I mean, it was without a doubt. And, and I knew that. And what made it even more complicated was the fact that growing up and going to school where I was only one of a handful of kids that believed that because they came from similar um, likewise families.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So when you have that, you immediately exercise at school as well. And you're kind of labeled as this kind of communist or lefty, etc. So school was really difficult. Teenage years was really, really difficult. I mean, ex- I mean, as a family, I had a lot of exposure to this. I had friends. My dad, de- my parents' friends, had um, uh, had friends who were in prison, um, who were um, um, objecting and conscious objectors, um, so in prison for years. Um, my dad would visit them in prison. Um, he would uh, he'd be involved. I mean, it was it was quite 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 incredible, and I'm I'm very. Kind of like, I'm um, grateful is probably not the right word, but I mean, it's, um, yeah, I'm grateful that I was exposed to that because it's not many kids my age were. Um, and realizing how bad the situation was. Going to universities when parties was still there, was in this process of getting, of, of, of breaking down. But even then, um, I had to fight not to go to to the army. I mean, it was, we had to go to the army as, as um, it was conscripted straight after... After school, you had to go to the army for two years, national service. And um, obviously I refused because um, why would you want to go to the army and fight in a war against something you didn't believe in? So it was like, it just didn't seem right. So wow. I was part of the end conscription campaign. I mean, I was always, you know, you you find that growing up in university, suddenly you are around a lot of people who think like you, which is, um, which is amazing. So you are in these protests and you run around and you have police tear gassing and spraying water cannons at you and being whipped and... Mm. It's, it was a very real experience.
0: How did you get out of well, getting, going to the, the army? By going to
1: university. So I kept on studying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the more you study, you get deferred. So you don't, because you're allowed to study before you go to the army. So by the time I started studying, um, by the time I was kind of like in the middle years of my university, um, they cancelled national service. So I didn't have to worry about that. But anymore. I was lucky.
0: But, Otherwise, you'd still be in university.
1: Probably <laughs> like my,
0: knowing
1: probably you my third PhD by now yeah exactly
0: <laughs> well let's say how, how did your dad's greek was your mom greek as well
1: no my father's greek um how did in uh, south is, africa um so my, my dad's second generation greek so he oh, okay he came out he didn't come out he was born in south africa my okay. grandfather left left cyprus probably in the probably in roughly the like early 40s um and um Moved to, I mean, he left literally a life of poverty um, at probably a young age of fourteen or something to go and work, and ended up working on ships and ended up in South Africa and um, and you know it was at the time was more than likely a country of opportunity you know for those who are hardworking. So my grandfather worked hard and built a, you know properties up etc. and um, so that's uh, how my how we ended up here as as.
0: Greek South Africans. Um, and did you? When did you know you wanted to become a designer?
1: Well, I think it's it's you know you probably you know everyone wants to hear some kind of like prophetic answer to that, but it's um I think it's a case of always knowing that you, you feel that you see things in a way that relates to design or symmetry or something that's exceptionally different to what you would normally see. So, and I actually spoke to my parents about this a couple couple of months ago and they were saying to me that the interesting thing is that they always noticed that as a kid I was obsessed with symmetry except except obsessed with planning things and putting things in the right order and like constantly tidying my room and arranging things and choosing the right colors to use whatever I was doing and so I mean it, it's uh, they always said that, that as a child I had this awareness the only toys that I had was I mean it sounds corny but the only toys I had was Lego and I used to constantly play with Lego but I was I was never that kid that wanted to get the Lego kits that you would actually build up a castle yeah. or, you know, a, a spaceship or a space walker, or whatever it might be. I just wanted the blocks and I would make my own gigs. So whether it, I did a lot of, built a lot of houses um, yeah. and um, used to build up these little sculptures, etc. And I, I loved doing it. And I would literally growing up as a child with ADD and well, it was actually ADHD and taking Ritalin at, the only thing that, it, that actually made me focus was building these Lego blocks. And I would sit for hours and hours and hours. And I think design has been something that I always moved towards. Um, I had a father who was, I mean, my father's very, um, he's, he's a, studied engineering and, you know, he's always been involved in, you know, making things and understanding how things are made. So I was fascinated through that and this understanding of, being a maker and being able to break things down and remake them. I was very intrigued by that. I had an aunt um, who's a, a great artist and graphic designer. And as an early child, I used to like sit in her room and pour through graphics no- novels um, and sort of journals, you know, those old mm. graphics journals yeah, and yeah, Helvetica, yeah. <laughs> these huge Helvetica books. And yeah. I, like, this was at the age of like seven, eight. And I just was like always fascinated by this. And um, I think, you know, I this love for, graphic design and art and a questioning about making and building Lego, just kind of like all steered into direction of going like one day I've I've got to design something. I've got to do something. Um, And it never ended up, I always knew that, you know, studying art at school and doing things and getting, doing ceramics. And I was always loved building things rather than just, you know, doing more of a fine art. It was always about creating something that was three dimensional. So that kind of steered me in that direction. Mm. And then, yeah, my studies went in a, in a peculiar way, and I think it's a, a result of having some strange conversation at school with a, a, a guidance counselor who told me that I had to become a town planner. Which that's they did the scientific kind of <laughs> questionnaire, and everything points towards you, you should be a town planner. Which, I mean, <laughs> it's the most daftest thing in the world. I mean, I would, would have failed as a town planner because it's 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 totally different to what I would imagine it to be. Mm. Um, so I figured, okay, well, this is what I'm gonna do, um, because it sounds pretty interesting, and uh went down the route of studying for an undergraduate degree to study a master's degree in town planning. And I was I ended up doing social science, studying urban geography and other and social sciences and related and economics, etc. I think it was sort of halfway through. I went and visited town planning studio and I was horrified. I couldn't believe it felt like a law firm. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then all, at that sta- that. yeah and then at that stage i thought like this is mental i can't do this um i've got to and it's it something clicked and i started then becoming interested in architecture again and um my final year of geography urban geography i did this amazing sort of uh, sort of mini thesis on gentrification in, in a particular area of Durban and I started interviewing architects and I just became like absolutely I was like hooked and then I i moved when I finished my degree in social science and um, I immediately enrolled into first year architecture and started that way um, wow. and that's um, yeah that was my crazy journey and it was actually it was actually a really good thing because um, starting as a slightly more mature student, not as a sixteen or seventeen year old. It was, uh, you know, you be, you become a lot more focused and you you you're intent on what you want to do. So crazy journey, but mm. that's the way I ended up studying architecture. And, I, and it was always it was always something I, I was was intrigued by and imagined to do one day, and I, I got to do it. So it was great.
0: So with with your a, is it ADHD? Is that what you said? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I,
1: well, I could say i've still got it i mean it's oh, like, yeah I mean, but
0: it it's doesn't heavy. go away does it it
1: doesn't go away it doesn't go away no it isn't something you grow out of i mean i think it's just
0: yeah like it's, but uh, it, did you find it hard to study architecture i mean or do you become obsessed with it when once you found that, that no was-
1: and i never became obsessed but I, I think it was a case of when i'm doing something that I uh, that i really enjoy uh, you just it's you you've obviously heard of a term that everyone's talking about now being in a flow state or being yeah. focused, or zoned in. It was exactly what happened. You just get completely zoned, and then time just obliterates. You don't even know it's existing anymore. Mm-hmm. So whether it was drawing something or working something out or developing something, you just get into that amazing kind mm-hmm. of world that actually focused me for the first time, and I didn't need medication or anything anymore. It was it was great. Wow. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think I still feel that. You know, if I if I'm doing something and I really enjoy. Like doing a tax return, it's, I, I, I last a minute, then I got to get up and then walk around and then come back. Or <laughs> doing doing a spreadsheet or doing, I just don't do those things because I just know that I can't. Yeah, I can't focus more than two minutes.
0: Does it stress you out?
1: It does. It totally stresses me out. It, um, uh, I, I, I do these, I try and do these little goals. Okay, I must do this much and then I'm going to reward myself with walking outside or... Mm. reward myself with a glass of water I don't know
0: just these <laughs> when
1: that's how I studied at school I had these little like goals that I had to work towards yeah, but I think when I'm designing or thinking or developing something or helping someone with something or talking about design or talking about you know a strategy and design or anything that's related I, I get into a, a rhythm that doesn't yeah I'm just it's like a peacefulness it's hard to explain and i'm sure you get that as well as a designer yeah. it's a, you get this amazing sense of calm you know yeah. it's just an artists get that as well i mean it's 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 a it's almost like a beautiful gift that you that we're given you know that you that you're given yeah. to you to, to feel like that
0: well people in the past would have called it a curse but yeah it, if you find it if you find your kind of i guess the thing that you're really passionate about it is a gift isn't it
1: totally it's a gift and I, I believe the same thing with with um, you know a lot of people saw um and i've spoken to a lot of friends who have children who have add and all the rest of it and i always say don't i see it as a gift because you get you're gifted with this exceptional amount of energy and exceptional amounts of you know being able to do multiple things even though that you can't focus on one <laughs> yeah. you are able to kind of see multiple things at once yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, I don't know what it is, what it is, but I, I feel, and there's a um, yeah, this inherent passion and energy as a result, um, which which I've always known about, always felt cursed about. But like my later years, I was realized actually no, I'm actually really stoked that I grew up as an ADD kid, yeah, <laughs> taking redlin. <laughs> yeah,
0: well, I mean, how, how did how do you manage in the corporate? you know in the corp- like in the big corporation you're working in how do you manage that? Vince I think the
1: massive dose of s- a sense of humor yeah um, and really not taking myself seriously or anyone like obviously I've got to take my job seriously but what I'm yeah. saying is that you know it's not um, it's not my life um, but what I'm doing uh, that I'm passionate about as a designer and as, an, as a thinker, I believe that I'm adding a certain quality to a corporation. And once I believe that, and people respect that, it's it's um, it's been an amazing thing. So, and to not get bogged down by, you know, and, and I've only got to realize this now. I mean, to actually not get bogged down by titles or who you are, what you do, and um, and it's uh, to realize that you actually are employed because of um, what you're good at. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's is what I really appreciate. Um, and I think Woolworths in particular is a, is a corporate and a business that does respect that and does see that talent um, and gives you room and, and space to actually think and, and to work in the most appropriate manner.
0: I, I, I met you at Woolworths and I, I remember saying to the couple guys, I go, oh my God, this guy has got incredible passion, optimism, and energy. It felt like when I first met you, like a whirlwind, you know, it's like (laughs) of optimism, you know, just like, yeah. And people talk about a problem and you'd you'd have a solution right away. Or if they go, yeah, but you can't do this. You go, oh, how about this then? And you have another solution or another solution. You just keep coming up with solutions. You're a bloody machine, man. Um, (laughs) And a a brilliant talent. And uh, obviously you're now the creative director of Woolworths store design uh, there in Cape Town. And you consult to David Jones Australia, right? And as a part of your right,
1: yeah, in a very similar capacity, yeah.
0: Which is both part of the Woolworths Holdings Limited in in South Africa. I mean, they have forty five thousand yeah. people in that company, right?
1: Yeah, it's monstrous. It's really big. It's um, incredible.
0: And it would really yeah. blew me away when they started buying. what do they buy? Uh, Country Road, Trennery uh, the Witchery as well. A whole bunch of yeah, them. Witchery, okay.
1: Mempo. Mimco,
0: um, David Jones, as well. yeah. just just incredible that a South African company was doing that, and uh, just just phenomenal. I, I personally, I see Warwood South Africa as a almost like a design company in itself, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it, well, it, it has a huge commitment to design. So uh, you know, that's the one thing that I really love about the company is that it's committed to. Developing design, um, you know, through through a school program, it's committed to growing designers that it has. Um, you know, giving them as much exposure as possible. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm, It's I've I've seen the world. You know, I've I've traveled all over. I've been involved. I've worked with the most inspiring people. Um, yourself included. Um, I've worked. Oh, thanks man. uh with um the likes of Massimo Vignelli I mean yeah. closely and design and working with the rebranding of Woolworths I mean to have that opportunity is quite quite
0: something uh, quite incredible. Um,
1: yeah and just little things like that well there's not even little things but I mean big things like traveling to the Milan Furniture Fair every single year and mm-hmm. the capacity through Woolworths gives you an amazing sense of like what's happening globally constantly um, and i think this is what we'll always realize is that you because we're a south african brand and because we're not we need the exposure and that the company needs exposure they're prepared to invest in that um, and i think it shows because um you know we're all able to speak in a language that is international and that's actually globally connected um and um as a business we 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 sort of aim at being a globally recognised and playing on that platform, not to just be like the best in South Africa, but the best in the world. Um, yeah. On many on, on many platforms, it's staggering.
0: Yeah, it really is. I mean, I, I've I've worked with a lot of um, organisations with you know working with their internal design studio, but I remember when Charmaine Hewitt, who's the head of marketing, she's still the head of marketing now, right?
1: Yes, she is. Yeah.
0: Group. Um, approached me about coming in and helping to set up an internal design studio because Massimo had done the branding and they were looking for something yeah. and rolled it all out in terms of packaging. And then, of course, Woolworths has tons of packaging and tons of signage and, and all across different sectors and stuff. But it was right. I said to her, she's asking me if I knew anybody. And I said, well, yeah, I know plenty of people, but what if I could do it? You know, what if I could do it from, I think it was London at the time, end up being uh, Australia in the end. And it was incredible that she actually saw the potential in that and you know we had a i think the design team was just two art workers at the time and now yeah. it's quite a significant I don't, know, I don't know how many people are in the, the, the team now but it's a big, over,
1: it's a big team yeah
0: yeah yeah, it's a to a big team. yeah spending the first month there then going once uh once a month for i think it was a week or two weeks for almost a year i think it was but it was really great to kind of it was fun to kind of take massimo's brand and help to kind of You know, uh, workout systems and how to roll it out across all kinds of you know fashion, food, home, cafe, all that kind of stuff. And that's where we kind of talked about that. And it was all new, wasn't it? It was all like new in incredible hurry. But equally, it's like I was just fascinated by the fact that War South Africa had that integrity, had that um, incredible focus on doing things really well, you know, and sustainability and Provenance, yeah. and you know, just just caring, caring passionately about every single thing that was produced, which was obviously frustrating at times as well, <laughs> because you know that kind of constant kind of focus on getting it right. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. So, and, and I was just amazed too when going there for the first time. Just going, wow, this is not like any other, like what was South Africa? The the, the the store was not like any other store that I'd experienced. It was more like, I guess, mark suspensions Spencers in the UK or even as even time is much higher standard than that. Um, yeah. Certainly in other Woolworths around the world, don't aren't don't come anywhere near that, I guess more of a lifestyle standard or certainly um, that same kind of quality that it has there.
1: Yeah, that's, that's, I think you've, you've nailed it. I mean, it's just, uh, um, you know, Woolworths as a brand has, uh, it has a lot of, an ex- exceptional amount of integrity um, as, a, as a local brand, as a South African brand. The one thing that, I've, that I know is that it's constantly pushing in terms of um doing things better whether it's understanding what our su- sustainability journey is or understanding what our design journey is or where product is going or the integrity that relates around that um it's it's quite, exceptional and to be, to be part of that is, uh, is, is fantastic because I mean, it's like, you know, you, you're part of one area that is responsible for how stores look and work and feel. And, and that's, that's really exciting um, because there's a lot of growth happening at the moment. Um, Must the be exciting is for
0: you is it's a, it's a living prototype, isn't it? Each store, keep any new store, you'd keep evolving it and changing and improving it. Um, yeah, it's a pretty incredible uh, role uh, for you.
1: Yeah, it has. Um, <clears throat> you know, it's uh, you know, Woolworths has always had a very we always had a very small design team, and it still is really small and tight. I think that's what makes it um, really good, um, and how we feel that you know each store feels like a new sort of direction. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so having a small team allows us to be kind of quite agile together and to to work effectively with each individual um, capacity. Um, <clears throat> so this has been what I've really enjoyed. Um, and the, so I've only been back at Woolworths now for a, for a short while, but previously in my previous role, um, I, I was very much involved in a lot of the new stores at the time and new developments and new directions. So that was, um, the last one was the Mall of Africa, um, which was at the time a new direction. And we worked you know, together each each individual components of the of the team had a had a, a role to play in terms of re- working out specifically where the direction was going mm. um, and you know I see myself now pretty much involved in that direction but it's it's focused on the creative components only which is fantastic because it's um still with the same team but working in a, in a, in a different way so you know it's it's been amazing to see all these new things develop um, from food markets to full store, full-on stores. Um, And and within that, each area of the store has, there's obviously the the overall architectural component, which is exciting to develop and and grow. But then there's certain components within each of that store. So whether it's one department or another department or a particular brand that we're working on. So you can then focus and hit up on that. Um, And then it's obviously really looking at the sum of all parts and how the whole experience or the land of, of that store works, um, which is a really critical component of what it is.
0: Yeah, I guess that's something we should talk about really is that whole role uh, of customer experience. Um, I, I, I guess I hadn't really experienced that, that myself as much <laughs> as I had when I met you guys in South Africa and, and see that the absolute focus on the customer. You know, a lot of sure. designers prior to that, I felt were very much focused on themselves or the client that they're working to, not the actual end customer. But because, I mean, you literally be walking around the stores every day and talk, look, talking about how a point of display is working or not working, or something's efficient, something's effective, what something's not working. Yeah. Like, it's just wonderful that kind of be able to play with a live store. I just I found that fascinating. But obviously, yeah, I you're think- really focused on that customer experience.
1: Yeah, totally. So, I mean, I think it's it's a it's my sort of interest and my kind of strategic interest in terms of design where it's going has evolved over the last few years. Do you really focus more on, on experience? And it, it's a terrible thing, but it's quite under it's not very well un- understood. Uh, you know, people are now using the term experience almost like as a as a quick solution to retail, which it's not. Um, mm. And experience is something that really should be understand um, inherently right from the beginning. So I, I, I believe what happens is that retailers um, and many other businesses, whether it's hospitality or, or the like, will go, we need customer experience or we need consumer experience. And mm-hmm. then they'll add it in as a layer, which is nonsense. Um, yeah. it, it really shouldn't be like that. I really believe that you need to intrinsically understand what the customer experience is or what the immersion component is or how you're actually going to engage. And then you need to apply the retail on and the actual business on as the layer, not the other way around. And I think this is where, you know, if people are missing it and experience means a number of things, you know, experience may mean just exceptional service you know, and whether or not your store's in that, it's, um, it's the next realm. So it could be, experience could mean um, uh, watching someone make something or being part of a process and all that we're all that we're saying i think why it's become so apparent where experience and engagement and immersion and getting people to do more of the doing rather than just more of the going rather than the, just the doing means that you're taking out of the transactional process of what retail is or the transactional process of what hospitality is
0: yeah, so yeah. if you
1: go right back and i always look at the way hotels have done it because they kind of i feel they're kind of done it, did it first. If you look at what, you know, Schrager did to the hotels, and um, whether he made them took all the terrible trappings that hotels had, you know, um, sort of like big reception counters and um, concierge desks, like stuck in the corner and very stuffy artwork everywhere. And he made them more experiential spaces or spaces where you would walk in and you'd feel like a rock star. I mean, you really did. Mm. Um, I think this is what, what, what shifted in terms of where hotels were actually moving themselves. And I think retail have, you know, taken the next level and doing the same thing. Yeah. Um, and it's not to add cheap tricks. It's to really understand what the customer journey is, what the customer engagement is from every single component. And all the, only, the, the main reason why this has been done is to get people connecting back with physical space. Mm. You know, this, what, what's happened over the last year is that people have become fixated with shopping online. Mm. But I think what they're looking for now is a massive escape from that. And this great escape into a physical world is going to be more important now than ever. Yeah. And this is the challenge that I think retailers are going to have to create these exceptional environments that are not just smoke and mirrors anymore, where retail always like was moving towards but through utterly visceral connective connective spaces where, where people feel connected and they feel that there's a, a, a wonderful connection and a meaningful connection. That's not just, it's actually honest and it has integrity. Mm. So I find it an incredibly exciting period in design um, and design can actually make this happen. You know, it, it can. Um, and we're no longer designing for the sake of design anymore. We're designing through understanding that experience and a journey and that connection and how we can actually get people to engage more with products, engage more with brands.
0: And as you said, you, you and uh, I guess it was a few of the guys there in Morris would take regular trips around the world to see how other examples of that was working um, in other sectors, et cetera, which I thought was really incredible. That's a real investment in re- R&D, you know, research and development. By not copying but but you know scouring the earth and trying to find where people are really making a difference and learning from that yeah and bringing them back you know bring it back and then kind of um working out your version of that I guess
1: yeah no that's that's exactly what it is I mean I think through travel um <clears throat> it's very difficult to do research by just opening up a you know your laptop and just looking at blogs and design and mm. design feed and trying to figure it out because you'll get it but it's not going to be the same I think through travel and um, being able to walk into a department store or walk into an exhibition or walk into a food market or whatever it might be you you need to actually look at it on many facets so you need to see how customers are engaging you need to smell what it smells like you need to hear a sound you need to see watch how people are engaging with products. You need to touch, you need to, you know, you really need to completely immerse yourself and to get that understanding of it. And that kind of triggers an awareness and it almost like instills like a passion of like, we've got to do this. We've got to actually create this awareness or create this utter connection with our customers. And how are we going to do it? and by doing that and bring it into your own language really is um, part of the whole design journey, which I think is so yeah. critical.
0: You know, what I thought was interesting was someone of your talent and your level, I, w- I was amazed that I'm sure even people trying to poach you from around the world, but I was amazed like you, you would naturally drift towards, you know, go to New York or London or end up, you know, at... Burberry or something, you know. Uh, work your way up. But <laughs> it's incredible how you've been so loyal to Woolworths. I know. I know when uh, Woolworths bought Woolworths Holdings bought um, David Jones for like two point two billion dollars, like five years ago or something. Um, incredible move. And then you moved out here quite soon to Melbourne, right, with your family. Correct. Um, yeah. What What was that like? You don't have to answer the previous stuff I just mentioned, but uh, I won't answer pretty the <laughs> <laughs> um, you know but um, moving to Melbourne again I guess that was a real exciting time for you big challenge I mean yeah David Jones really in, in Australia is like a really major brand and not I think they were going like myers is his competitor so you only read really two of them uh it's a duopoly but both of them were not doing as well as they had in previous years and they really did need reinventing what part did you play on that
1: yeah so a few years ago I was um, offered an opportunity to, as a secondment to go to Australia for two and a bit years, which was, I mean, I was really amazed by that. It was such a wonderful opportunity. I was very, you know, super excited, obviously, and um, jumped at the opportunity. And um, the reason why I decided to do that was because I actually felt that at the time, it would be an amazing opportunity to grow my career and develop my career. Mm -hmm. Um, Because David Jones is such... Whilst it's owned by Woolworths, it's a completely different business. Um, yeah. It's pretty much a luxury-based department store, um, but excessively luxury. Um, mm. Woolworths, South Africa is more of an aspirational department store in comparison. So it's, it, they're, different, they're, they're, they're different brands in terms of their overall um, direction. And what's amazing was that I got an opportunity to work on a heritage building over 100 years in, in Australia that's um, Elizabeth Street um, building uh, which was the biggest department store for David Jones to work on that as the creative lead or creative director on the, on the project um, and again ex- working with um, the designers at the time which were Benoit in Singapore so spending quite a bit of time in Singapore and right in the early stages of the project and actually developing the, the strategic intent of where the design needs to go um, and then just focusing down and, and honing the process throughout with a with a with a great team in, in Australia as well. So that was um, amazing, because I it opened my, you know, my world to, you know, a, a new world of luxury in terms of design. And, um, and that in itself, has made me start questioning you know what what role does luxury have to play in design and um, in, um, you know, in retail, and it's that in itself in the last year or two years is again shifting dramatically the way the world is so much more aware um from aspects of sustainability to integrities and now this is filling into uh, filtering into luxury as well so i mean even seeing that shift and developing so it's been was an amazing journey at the same time i was given the opportunity to develop a new concept store for david jones as well so we worked um, with a team closely. We all worked together on developing a new sort of rollout store that was um uh, in in uh, queensland mm-hmm. and that was uh great because it was it was something that we completely um, took away the past and relooked at the store and its experience right from the beginning in terms of what the customer journey would be and it was um it was fantastic because now they're taking that concept and we are moving on with other stores in a similar direction. So um, this is why I'm also
0: still involved. David Jones Yeah, I can't wait to see it. that. Is it in Sydney yet or not, the new concept store?
1: So that'll, it's, no, it's still in process. I mean, I think the only one that's completed will be in is in, um, in, in Queensland. So it's just outside of Brisbane, in place with Carindale.
0: I know I saw a gas station the other day here at David Jones Gas Station, which was pretty cool. That's like having Selfridges gas stations in the UK, isn't it? <laughs> yes, yeah. is this, is this nuts. Pretty much,
1: I'd say so. Yeah, <laughs> but it's part of the food strategy. I mean, I'm not that involved in those project that project. I've just kind of, sort of, seen more as a watching brief.
0: Yeah, I mean, how was how it for you living in Melbourne? Because that's that's a really, that's kind of a very design focused city in itself. Yeah, it was fantastic and very safe uh, in comparison, I guess.
1: This kind of like uh, it didn't feel foreign because it you know Cape Town's also you know feels it, it definitely is a design design center as well. and it's got there's a sort of element of grunge and sort of slickness that connect Cape Town together very much the way Melbourne is connected. Um, you know, I live pretty close to the city, so. I, th- I think what was most amazing was that I was, for the first time, I was just connected to my family and only to my family because we didn't know anybody. So we spent a lot of time doing stuff together as a family and going everywhere from arts exhibitions and galleries to skiing on weekends and getting out and really being exposed to, you know, wonderful Australian life um, and Melbourne, which I think is a fantastic city. Um, it seemed like a lot yeah.
0: of... Um eating ice cream and donuts and stuff by your by Instagram. A lot. Yeah. A lot.
1: It's definitely a food capital. Wow, my God. I'm, I mean, food in Australia is exceptional, particularly in Melbourne. It was just like blown away.
0: Yeah. Um, and the family adjusted well to living there?
1: Totally. Um, you know, schools are exceptional um, and it, it gave them a new sense of confidence and uh, my, my kids grew. I mean, they already did. I mean, in terms of yeah. like their they did well at school and coming back they've they kind of really came out of the shells
0: amazing because i forced
1: you you know they didn't They've you know had a different sense of freedom living there which is yeah it's it, it was a fantastic experience it really not, was
0: not only were you busy with your job in south africa before moving we were actually designing and building your own house And it didn't you just build it, just finish building just before you went to Australia? It was quite close, wasn't it? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Jesus, that must have been
1: it did, yeah. Um, so I worked with a um I started designing it like like early on, and I kind of panicked and started redesigning and it kept on going. And designing a house as an architect is probably one of the hardest things you can ever do. Mm. Because you never you you'll never feel that you've completed it. So I ended up working with a colleague that i you know that, I, that i've worked with in the past and um started working with him and eventually it was a case of like well have you looked at it this way and completely redesign it again mm. um and working with him was amazing um ended up uh redesigning a whole house again and uh finished it eventually and then had to move to australia so i've, I've always enjoyed working collaboration with people as well um you, you see that as a as as your kind of Growth of design as well is that you kind of start off where your first your first protocol is like what what your tools are are you know your your pens and your computers etc. and then as you get more and more um, sort of higher level in terms of how broad your brushstroke is, you find that you end up using. Other brains and other other creatives and other people as your new tools that actually help you hone where you're going. So yeah. it's I've I've always enjoyed that. Um,
0: how much did that influence? How much did your I guess retail design experience influence your home design?
1: A lot, a, a hang of a lot. I mean, it's um, that's why I asked a, about retail, a lot of <laughs> retail. <laughs> retail, um, retail design is, I mean, it's very much around staging and around lighting and well this is this is just the physical components of it's so like good staging and lighting and um curating and layering and so all of those things play out um you know when you're putting a space together mm-hmm. uh, which is pretty much what i i felt when i was building this um yeah and it's uh, it's it's great to live in a space that you feel proud of and um you 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 know you you, you do you are inspired by your environments i think your environment is the most important thing in terms of like what your output is um you know waking up and looking at a good view or going yeah. for a walk in a, in a great environment whether it's living in a small shack in the middle of nowhere that's inspires you because it's got beautiful sunsets and sunrises and wonderful locations that's where to i am get a bit yeah yeah
0: well, I guess the thing with retail, retail is very changeable. It's like a stage set, isn't it? it Completely like a kit. You keep changing and evolving. Whereas a home is kind of permanent. I know you could keep changing it. But is there any things that you would have done differently that you that you found through living in it?
1: Yeah, every day. <laughs> it's
0: like okay. well, that must be annoying. Is that both? <laughs>
1: it's super annoying. I mean, you go like, oh, maybe you should have done this.
0: Or, oh Jesus!
1: Open right. that up. I mean, it's yeah. a sad. I mean, like. Don't you feel like that? Vince is a designer, like you know, your brand. I mean, don't you go like, oh, maybe I should have.
0: Oh God, yeah, it's a nightmare. There it's hard. It's I mean, do like doing it's a, your own thing. It is, isn't it? It's hard it's to feel.
1: It's an absolute curse. I mean, it's like it's a it's a great curse, but it's, it is. I mean, you know, um, you know, one thing I love the fact that I studied architecture. One thing I'm I I'm so grateful of is that I find that I'm um, you're never ever bored. Mm. Um, and a lot of designers probably feel the same. It's like. If I'm waiting for an Uber in the middle of the city, I, I just need to look up and I've got amazing things to look at, or I can look down and I can look at amazing things as well. Just the built environment is so exceptional, um, whether it's bad or not, whether it's bad, you can critique it. If it's, if it's incredible, you can be inspired by it. Yeah. Um, so you've always got this constant little churn that's going on, looking at things differently. Um, yeah. The sad thing is, that you become hypercritical and you become very. Um, it can be quite damaging, you know. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, because you can't help being honest. If friends ask you about certain things, yeah. about what do you think of this color, and you end up being honest, and you you sort of watch them car away and go, "Well, I'm not going to ask him again."
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you, you, you're not. Are you not good at filtering this stuff? You just you're I'm, very I'm honest. Sure I <laughs> oh, no, no, <laughs> that's I'm, a I'm good. Honest. I think that's a good thing. You know where you stand with you. I know.
1: I I, I really am. I, I've got I, my filter is shocking, and I'm, I've learned to hold back. Yeah, I, I, I've got to be honest. When people say something or well, show me something that I don't think is right, I'm I'm quite um, yeah I'm forthright. Unfortunately, No,
0: I think that's that's really good, Nick. I think that's a, a strength, not a weakness. Um, let's just talk about again watching on Instagram. Not that I'm watching you every day, but you you got this constant feed of pictures of yourself in lycra sorry uh, on a <laughs> <laughs> on a mountain on a mountain in cape town it's just unbelievable view i mean you're out there for hours every day right i mean what yeah I presume that helps you enormously with your mental health and and everything but it just Completely. looks spectacular and i understand your yeah. son now does it which is really cool tell us a bit about that
1: the the, the great thing is um you know what this this lockdown and working from home gig has been whilst it's has exceptional challenges. I mean, I, I you know, I'm, I'm, a very social person, so I enjoy engaging with people. What's been amazing is that it's a massive time saver. So the time it takes you to get to the office and get out of your car or your scooter or whatever it might be, um, ends up being completely eradicated now. So you end up saving all that time, um, and you've got it to yourself. So, I find waking up every morning at five o'clock. I've got this up this window of you know maybe two and a half hours to three hours of riding a bike,
0: or yeah,
1: going to yoga or CrossFit. And then at the end of the day, when you, you because now I don't have the process of leaving an office or saying goodbye or going through the whole things or being sucked into another email or whatever it might be, you've now got time at the end of the day to do the same thing. So, I find it's um, by being able to constantly, I mean, I, I love riding a bike and I find it's, I've always loved riding bicycles. Um, I think it's, it's its kind of this amazing sense of freedom. And it's also, it's, you know, I've always enjoyed sports like skateboarding, surfing, skiing, riding BMXs, et cetera, because I feel it's, it's almost like a creative outlet. You know, because it's yourself expressing yourself on with your body and doing things. So this is why I love riding bikes so much. Um, I
0: think it's, re- I think it's really it's, amazing that because I mean, you, I've never seen you look so fit. I mean, you look younger and younger every time. You look like Brad Pitt in Fight Club. Um, <laughs> it's like I think that's it's just like no, I'm, I'm you know, you know that's the first thing guy about guy Fight
1: Club. And... You can't talk about Fight Club. What <laughs> <laughs> the rule about Fight Club is you can't talk about Fight Club. Oh, right, okay. There's one of the lines in the film.
0: <laughs> oh, yes, that's exactly right. Good one, <laughs> good one. Um, but no, I do think that obviously works really well for you and helps you, I guess it inf- helps you with your, it influences your work or calms you or...
1: It, it totally does. Right. You know, it's, um, I find when you when you do a lot of sports and you do a lot of exercise, when you actually back at your desk working, it's just, you you because you've got all that, energy out in a positive way not a negative way Mm. you your stress levels are just like come right down and you can just focus on the stuff you enjoy doing yeah um and your time at your desk when you're working and thinking and designing is so meaningful you know it's just it it makes sense yeah amazing Um, and then of course you know you you can get to you know being fit and active is amazing because i believe it's a it's a really important thing as your your kids to see Um, my children for my children to see the fact that I'm active is is a I believe is part of responsible parenting um yeah because it instills their sort of curiosity for movement and for energy and for getting out and doing things as well
0: yeah and you make it you make it all work so what inspires you Nick and that's a big question isn't it
1: yeah yeah (laughs) It's so another one of those classic designer questions. What inspires you? And there's going to be this huge yeah. metaphoric answer. Um, yeah. Vince, um I'm pretty much inspired by it by um, almost everything I do, mm. to be honest. Um, I'm inspired by let's start from the from the beginning of the day. I'm inspired by friends that I ride with, by how they've got a commitment to being strong and to get fitter and to push themselves and to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. That sounds like a crazy thing, but that, that inspires me. Like, so that I translate that back into everyday life and mm. to work. Um, when I come home, I'm inspired by my kids and their, my daughter's exceptional naivety, um, that, but in a beautiful way. I'm inspired by my son's energy and questioning life constantly. I'm inspired by the strength of my wife and her sort of tenacity and commitment to what she does and how she has an amazing drive. I'm inspired by things I see and um, my parents inspire me as well. I mean, they really do. Um, uh, my whole family inspires me. Um, I'm inspired by going for a walk in the mountain and seeing, you know, and this is going to sound a little bit Crazy, but I'm inspired by textures that I see and touch and like that might that may translate Mm. in a way to what I'm designing or what I'm thinking. Constantly inspired by built form, buildings around that I'm always looking at. Um, you know, when it's so different, it's amazing when you're moving through in a car, you see nothing. Then when you go on a bicycle, you see a little bit more. And then when you go for a walk in the neighborhood, you see even more.
0: Yeah, 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 and I always
1: find it's amazing how that's why it's so important to drive, ride, walk. Yeah. run, do all of these things, because you see things in different perspectives. So I'm inspired by that through movement. And when I was younger, I was inspired by, by film. I really have always been inspired by film. Um, that inspires me around design a lot. Um, I think when I was younger, I saw a film, I don't know if you remember a movie called Brazil?
0: Yeah.
1: yeah it's like, it like actually made me, th- that's one of the reasons why I was sort of becoming intrigued by architecture, because it was just such a pivotal kind of Mm. bonkers crazy film for me this dystopian belief Mm. um so yeah and i've got these little pockets of inspiration that i've always remembered that i've always connected back and i'm I'm particularly inspired by human spirits um and i see a lot of it in south africa um you know i I, i'm just unfortunate i'm just not I, i i i'm inspired because i'm not like that i'm inspired by seeing how um like recently we had some amazing some you know Credible fires like literally on our doorstep and just was it was inspiring to see how many people are involved in actually solving the problem from thankless jobs to you know the firefighters who are out there constantly Um, and it's exceptional and we have a lot of that in our country because we have such an amazing amount of challenges and um Mm. uh, but within these challenges there lies opportunities um and this is again what inspires me
0: yeah, wow, that's incredible to hear all that, Nick. Do you think I always ask people this question, and you, you don't have to say yes just because you're on the Design Life podcast? But do you think you've designed your life?
1: I'd w- almost like would like to reword that. Um, okay. <laughs> I think okay. I'm designing my life.
0: Yeah, good. You know, and
1: and I'm constantly designing my life. You know, it's uh, your book you wrote, which you gifted me, which I was really thankful for. Uh, it is a to me was a something which I, I, I hold dear because I find that is exactly what it is about. It is almost because I, it made me so no one's ever said that, that term design your life. And when you did it, and when I read that book, I was suddenly going like, actually, your life has to be designed because there's so many components of it. So I really believe I do design my life. So you design the place you live in, you design how your family wants to communicate with you and live with you. You design how um, your, your health benefits your, your outputs you design that you design it into your life that you only know that you're going to wake up a certain hours because you've got this two amounts of exercise to do or you know as designers we get things wrong you know and we should be okay with that so sometimes I get my life wrong and then you're going to go back and you got to redesign that component and then rework it in and that. then it gets improved so I think if you keep on having that notion your, your life really should get should get better and better actually. Um, And if you've got a problem, you just solve it through design like you would any other design process. So, yes, I do believe so.
0: I I definitely see you as a person that's definitely, um, you know, evolving your life for the the better. And we often talk about incremental change, but you can see that, you know, your life's never gonna be perfect, but there's opportunity to keep evolving as as you grow and as you learn. And as your challenge too, because life constantly challenges you. It's like, how do you design your way into a better situation? You know, from the challenges you might have.
1: Yeah, no, totally. And I mean, it's—I think this is the whole thing that we're all—you know—we're all human, and we all have um, challenges. And um, you look at people in a certain way, and you go like, "Oh wow, they're so perfect now, this and everything." And and this is one of the things I, I value with yourself, Vince, is so that you know you were able to share the challenges that you had through your book and through myself talking to you directly as a friend it's like you just realize that you know everyone goes through these problems i mm. um, i think this is this is what's what's so important about understanding that we do have challenges but we actually have an exceptional amount of strength as humans to actually overcome them through designing things in the right way and actually putting your life together in the right way
0: it, it's quite int- i mean i I've, i found it um I mean, during COVID, I mean, COVID for us, we haven't had it anywhere near, we probably thought we did, but didn't have it anywhere near the rest of the world. And also what's going on in India and places like that right now is absolutely horrific and a heart to them, you know? But I was just incredible that what came across for me in terms of, you know, people around me, my family, my kids, the my team at work, you know, just the resilience that people have. It really made me feel, uh, I don't know, more of a connection with everybody as a result of that, it just felt like everybody, it kind of highlighted the fact that we're all just humans trying to do our best, you know, trying to get through life. Um, and I think that through the podcast, I'm hoping that people obviously listen in on these conversations <laughs> with people that are doing great things, but equally um, they're real people that are just trying to do their best, you know, and um, but, through, so good times and bad times, etc. but.
1: You know, I heard a, I heard a, a wonderful thing in a, in a webinar a couple of months ago that it was, altruism is the new currency today. Mm. And it's so true that, you know, people are so much more aware of um, people around them and the, the harshness that we've actually experienced and um, the harshness that we've actually instilled on the environment, the harshness that uh, people have instilled themselves. I mean, I think it's actually, this has been a massive, awakening for everyone and i think as a result there's going to be numerous renaissances that are going to exist which i I love i mean i think it's amazing the spirit is strong you know it is and and it's uh you can see it i mean there's so many things have shifted um as a consequence of what's happening
0: see in the conversations in the news and in society in our clients our clients everybody is coming in wanting to design totally do good, but design a better world, design better products, be more sustainable, do good, you know, do the right thing, as well as make money, but doing it for the right reasons in the first place, which I've never seen before. I just wonderful to see that kind of mass I haven't, focus. Exactly.
1: And it's gonna it's gonna instill an entire new way of thinking in architecture, in design, in medicine, in, in so many different facets. And I think you're gonna you're gonna start seeing already you can start seeing as a new aesthetic that's developing
0: mm, new language um,
1: and a new language it's it's beautiful i mean it's it's it is i mean i'm trying to not sound too positive here because it's we've, we've been through hell but um yeah. it's uh yeah I, th- I think you you have to see this in a, in a totally different light and opportunity
0: nick it's been so cool catching up with you today thank you for you. thank you so much buddy i look forward to seeing you again soon
1: Yeah, and you, Vince. Thank you.
0: Cheers, buddy. Thanks for listening to this episode of Design Your Life, From Lego to Skyscrapers, with Nick Criticus. Tune in next week, where I'll be catching up with the formidable team of John Wardle, Megan Dwyer, and James Loder of John Wardle Architects. Thanks for listening to this episode of Design Your Life. If you'd like to find out more about how you can design your life, head to the website at designyourlife.com.au. If you found this episode inspiring, please don't forget to review and subscribe. If you have any ideas or like to get in touch, we would love to hear from you. Send us an email at hello at frostcollective.com.au.